Two weeks ago, we started our series, and I gave an introduction to the exchange life in Christ, what that really means. Last week, we covered forgiveness and confession. There's a lot of mixed beliefs in the Christian church. We found that last week, and I told you then, and I'll tell you this morning, that your belief system will be challenged as we go through these meetings. When uh, sometimes we have a tendency to look at the Jewish people and we say to ourselves that we want to tell them you don't have to do any more sacrifices. The animal sacrifices are, has been done away with since Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. Then the Protestant, he kind of looks at the Catholic and he says, you know, you don't, you don't really have to go to a confessional booth. We Protestant go, we go directly to God. But then we found out last week that our sins were taken care of at Calvary. He died for the sins of the world. The sin issue is over. No one is going to be lost because of sin. It's going to be because of unbelief. So our subject this morning is Christian, do you know? Now, most Christians, they do not see God as he is, and most of us do not see ourselves as we really are. I guess I could say it another way. Do you know how God really sees you? And do you believe what the Bible says about you? Do you really believe it's true? We say we do, but do we really believe it? Every Christian has a desire to please God but the question is, how do we please God? Well, if you would go to some fellowships, they would say, as long as you're reading your Bible every day, as long as you're praying, as long as you have your quiet time, you are pleasing to God. Some would say that as long as you attend church, attend prayer meeting, attend all of these things, then, uh, and get active in the church, then you are pleasing God. But is it true? What is it that is pleasing to God? So we're going to look at a scripture this morning, Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the Bible is pretty plain. What pleases God is if we actually believe what God says is true. What he says is true about us and what he says is true about himself. And then the Bible says that if we believe that he is who he says he is, that we will be rewarded as we seek him. What is our reward anyway? Our reward is the gift of eternal life and the gift of his righteousness. Always keep that in mind. 
that no matter what you hear, that your reward is eternal life, to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, the very last series of this, I'll be teaching about the judgment and rewards. And we'll see what God says about that. When our primary motive becomes trusting God, believing him, and really believing what he says is true, there's nothing in the world that pleases him more than we take him at his word, that we actually believe what he says about us. Now, I believe that when we see God as he is in the Bible, your life will change forever. You'll never be the same. We talked about the miracle of spiritual regeneration. I brought up a text that I will bring up. I brought up for the first three sessions now, and I'll bring up in the last two. And that is Ezekiel 36.26. Now, this text is probably one of the most important texts in the Bible. Because God gave Ezekiel a vision of what would happen when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And you remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He says, it's important that I go away. And I'm going to send you the Comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that was the beginning of the New Testament church in Acts. It says, I, moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this is what happened to you when you said yes to Christ. When you were born again, this is exactly what happened. Christ did surgery. He opened you up, and he took out that heart of stone and gave you a new heart of flesh. And then the Bible says, he put in that spirit, the Holy Spirit, to occupy that new heart that is in you. And so at your core, whether you've understood it or not, but at your core, you do not want to sin. You do not want to. You have Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit at your core. And that's why some people get really confused when they read 1 John and it says that you will not sin. If you're in Christ, you will not sin. You will not at your core. You will not. At your core, you are rock solid. You have Christ living in you through the Holy Spirit. Now, here is the exchange. He took that heart of stone out, gave you a new heart. And now, from your core, your desire is not to sin. You really don't want to sin. In fact, when you do, you feel bad about it. You think to yourself, what's wrong with me anyway? Will I ever get it? I really didn't want to. And we're going to cover that, why we do. In 1 John 5.12, the Bible says this. He who has a son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You see, Ezekiel saw the rebirth. You would be born again. 
you'd receive this new heart, you'd receive the Holy Spirit, and you would be a different you. Your desire is to know God, to love God, to want God in your life. And so you became alive, the Bible says, that you received his life. And now the Bible says in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 1.4, it says this, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the Bible tells you, you are born again, but you are now partakers of his divine nature. You are united with Christ. You are united with him. Christ lives in you, the Bible says, and that is the hope of our glory. He possesses you. He lives within you. The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, when you accepted him, has made you a brand new you. Now, did you feel new? Probably not. Maybe you did. It all depends on what age you were when you came to Christ. If you grew up a Christian, you probably didn't feel anything. You probably didn't have any great emotional experience. But there's something about you that has always been true. And that is, from the inside, from your core, you, have, you are perfect. You are complete in Christ. That's who you are in Christ. You are complete in him, as we will find out this morning. The Bible says, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now this is hard for the Christian to comprehend because somehow we are led to believe there's two of us. There's the new you, there's the old you. But that is not true. That is not true at all. The Bible says it. The Bible says that old things have passed away and the new thing has come. What is that new thing? The new thing is that from your core, you are everything that God wants you to be. He loves you just the way you are. He's not out to transform you. He loves you just that way. But he does say, he does say that he will recreate you into his own image. What a blessing that is to know that that recreation I have nothing to do with. God is the one who's doing it within me. So, the question is, that comes, comes across anyway, is that if you say that we're perfect, you say that we are perfect in the core, that we really don't want to sin, that my question is then, why do we sin? Why do we sin? So we need to take a look at the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. And this was God speaking to Cain, the son of Adam. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and it desire, its desire is for you, but you must master it. So the Bible says to us, the Bible is making a point here, that sin is crouching at your door. 
Now, the power of sin and its desire is to overtake you. But what does the Bible say? Greater is he that is within than he that is in the world. So let's take a look at what the New Testament said. The Old Testament said that, that uh, sin is crouching at your door and it's desires for you. In the New Testament, Paul goes through what most of us have experienced. Romans 7.15. So here we're going to find out Paul is all confused, it seems like. And Paul says here, For what I am doing I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but, what I, but, the, but the very thing that I'm doing, I hate. I wonder how many of us have gone through that experience. So, he says, now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And then in verse 18 it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but doing of the good is not. So the Bible is very plain. For what I am doing, I do not understand. But Paul says that it's not me. It's sin that dwells in me. Now, we've all experienced that. We can be at peace with God. We can think how wonderful God is, and all of a sudden a thought comes through our head, and we wonder where in the world did that thought come from? It's the power of sin. And it is real. In fact, the force called sin is real and still active. The power of sin didn't get saved. You and I did. When we asked Jesus Christ to come into our life, he saved us. He gave us the gift of eternal life. But the power of sin remains. And this is why Jesus Christ said that when I come back, I'm going to give you a new body because that's where sin dwells in the body. I'm going to give you a new body that will match that already perfect heart that you have at your core. So let me read it again so you can see it. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now when people first hear that, they say, you mean to tell me that when you sin, it's just really not you. You don't have anything to do with it. It's the devil that made you do it. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, in Romans 6, 12, the Bible says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. In the Old Testament, it said you must master it. In the New Testament, it says do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. You see, the problem with the sin, the nature of sin, it always delivers its promised pleasure. It's not the sin that we get obsessed with. It's the promised pleasure of the sin that becomes addictive. And remember, the power of sin is not when you act it out. It is when you give yourself permission to do it. I can't tell you how many Christians, because they have read a text in the Bible, they believe this concept. Jesus was teaching to the Jewish people, and he said to them, 
I say unto you, you read, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Now, is that true? Is that true? A lot of Christians, they have read that. They may have heard a sermon preached on it. They didn't realize what Jesus was doing was showing the Jews that it is impossible to keep the laws of God. Nobody has ever done it. You would think that after all of these thousands of years, that somebody, maybe somebody like Billy Graham or somebody would come to the place where they would quit sinning. But nobody has. And Jesus Christ was showing the impossibility of the Jewish people thinking that salvation would come by the keeping of the law. And so people have looked at that text, heard about that text, and they say to themselves, well, I might just as well do it. I mean, I'm thinking of it. I've already committed the sin because I'm thinking about it, so I might just as well do it. That's not what Jesus meant, but that's how we rationalize and give ourselves permission to sin. Sometimes we come to the place and we say, now, God, I, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. Um, but I, I, I've been thinking about it so much that I'm going to go ahead and do it, but this is going to be the last time. I, I, I will not do this again. This will be the last time. In other words, I'm in control. I'm in control. I can quit at any time. But here's the problem. Once you start going through that cycle of sin, once you give yourself permission to sin, you'll sin. And so here's what happens. Many, especially when it comes to couples, once you choose to hide your thoughts from each other, once you decide that you can do something alone without, without telling your spouse about it, you are decide, deciding <clears throat> to use someone to satisfy your sin. Because the truth is, the Bible says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And believe me, it's true. The way of the transgressor is hard. There's a price that pays, that we pay for when we sin. And most of us, when we sin, we don't like what we did. So what is the answer then? Well, we can believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that you are dead to sin. Now, I happen to be one who uses that a lot. And it wasn't too many weeks ago, I was flipping through the channels and the TV, and I saw this action movie, and I thought, oh, that'd be good. I haven't seen that. I heard about it, but I've never seen it. And so I'm going to watch it. And so I started watching it, and then there was a lot of bad language came on and some partial nudity, and I was looking at that, and I was saying, what? What? 
I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I'm a child of God. I'm dead to that kind of stuff. And I flipped the channel. Now, the temptation was to stay with it a little bit longer. But I flipped the channel. So sometimes we can use what the Bible says is true. The Bible says that when, when, Christ, when you were born again and Christ came and dwelled in you, he cleaned you up. He doesn't dwell in a dirty place. He cleaned you up. He took all your sins and he buried them and they're buried into the depths of the sea and they're remembered no more. He cleaned you out and you started brand new. And at your deepest core, you do not desire to sin because of who you are in Christ. Now, you can, uh, you can agree with God that you're going against your new nature. So these temptations come your way and you say to yourself, this is not me. This is not me. I am a child of God. And you can come to the place where, and I believe this is what the church is designed for. You can come to the place where before you actually take action, you'll, you'll talk to somebody, somebody you trust. And you can say, look, listen, I'm having a real difficult time. And you can share with that person knowing that that person will not tell anyone else that it's just between you and him and God. And he's there to remind you. He's there to remind you that Christ lives in you on your worst day. He's there to remind you that Christ lives in you during those bad thoughts that you're going through. During your worst temptation, Christ is there for you. That's the power of the church. The power is that we, this is how God loves us through the body of, of believers. Romans 15, 7 says this. Accept one another, then just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Therefore, accept one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. We're there to minister to each other, to love each other no matter what. Wouldn't it be wonderful if today we could have a fellowship where we could actually be ourselves, not trying to be what everybody thinks we should be, but we could actually be ourselves, knowing that God will do the transformation when he decides. Whether we realize it or not, we will treat people with the same measure of love and acceptance and forgiveness that we, rightly or wrongly, think we are receiving from God. And I want to say that again. We will treat other people with the same measure of love, the same measure of acceptance, the same measure of forgiveness, which we think we receive from God. In James 5, 16, the Bible says this, Therefore, 
Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What James is saying is that we should listen to each other's struggles. This is what the body of Christ is all about, that we listen to each other's struggle. We can offer counsel when it's asked for. We can pray for each other. But this has nothing to do with forgiving or cleansing us. It has nothing to do with that. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and confession. We found out, according to the Bible, that we are totally forgiven for our sins the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. In Hebrews 10, 14, the Bible makes it very clear. For by one offering, he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Now, those of you that have been coming here for quite some time now, you've heard me say over and over and over again who you are in Christ. You've heard me say that Christ says that you're perfect forever. Do you feel perfect? No. Do you act perfect? No. Are you perfect? Yes. In your deepest core, where you receive that new heart, you are exactly what God says you are. For by one offering he has perfected for all times. For all times means forever. He has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Now, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says you were justified, and the Bible says you were sanctified. Justified is just as if you've never sinned. Sanctified is you've been set apart for holy use. When God created man, he created man to be inhabited by God. Adam had the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Man is created to inhabit God, for God. When we don't have God, there's a vacuum there. There's an emptiness there. And that's why people are searching and looking for something to satisfy that vacuum that they have in their life. That vacuum was designed that only God could fulfill it. Only God. And so we find out here that we, we have been perfected for all times. Now, there's always a sorrow or regret when we sin. Why? Because the Bible says that as believers, we're designed for good works, not for sin. When we sin, we won't be content with our choice. When we sin, we're going to feel bad. We're going to feel remorse. But it's wonderful to know what God has done with our sins. In Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember them no more. What a tremendous promise God has made to us. He says he will remember our sins no more. Do you know how many millions of Christians, they believe that at the end of time, they're going to face the judgment bar of God? And they're somehow they're going to see their sins come up on a big TV screen or something. 
When God says that their sins and deeds I will remember no more. When the Bible says in, in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore no condemnation. If there's no condemnation, there is no judgment. The Christian passes through the judgment. He's already been judged. And the Bible says not only has he been judged, but he has been sealed unto the day of redemption. When Jesus Christ comes back. We're meant for something greater than sin. We were designed to have Jesus Christ live his life in us. And live his life being expressed through us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus went and gave his life for our sins over 2,000 years ago. In Acts 10.43, the Bible says this, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's what he does. When we believe in him that Jesus Christ is Lord, he comes in and he cleans house. And then he occupies us through the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't live in a dirty place. I know I've heard, I've heard uh, people say that our hearts are desperately wicked. I've heard that many, many times. And they quote that Bible text in the Old Testament that the heart is desperately wicked. But the Bible says that when you received Christ, you received a new heart. Your heart is as pure and solid as it could be. So what is the truth? Well, the truth is, you have been born again. Well, what happens to us when we sin? In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says, Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God is not counting our sins against us when we do sin. It's very plain. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In Hebrews 9, it says in, in Hebrews 9, 28, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. We pass through the judgment. When he's coming back for his saints, he's coming back without reference to any sin. He's, not going to, he, he's already buried everything in the depths of the sea. And the truth is, when you do sin, before you can get anything out of your mouth, your sin has been forgiven, it's already been forgotten, before you can say a word. Asking for forgiveness doesn't take away sin. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ 
that takes away sin. And so the Bible makes it very clear. He offered that sin one time, one time, 2,000 years ago. The cross is the dividing line of human history. 2,000 years past, he took all of those sins, he took them away. The Bible says in the Old Testament for 2,000 years that their sins were covered by the blood of, of sacrifices of, of sheep and goats. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was his blood. All of our sins were in the future, all of them. And he died for the sins of the world. The sin issue is over. If you have been born again, born of God, you live in a forgiven state. Before you can utter a word, that sin has already been taken care of. So what is the truth? Well, the truth is we have been cleansed once and forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that ought to give us a freedom that we have never experienced before in our life. That ought to make us more grateful than we've ever been before in our life. And I know that there are people, and I've been accused of it, you preach grace, 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 and you're just giving license to sin. And you've heard me say it before, nobody's needed a license. They're doing fine on their own. Nobody's needed that. Grace is the cure for sin. It's the cure for it. When you fully understand it, when you comprehend what Christ did on the cross, that he's not holding our sins against us, you fall in love with God all over again. You think, what an awesome God. You know, when I got out of the Marine Corps. I was not a Christian. And I was all confused. I was all messed up in my head. I couldn't figure out. I didn't, I, I, I'm not, I don't think I believed in God. I can remember laying in the jungle and I was think, thinking to myself, there is no God. I mean, if there is, he doesn't care about these people here. He doesn't give a rip about them. They're dying by the thousands. He doesn't really care. And so it was hard for me to comprehend the love of God because I didn't see it. But when I did see it, when I did accept him as my Savior, all of a sudden, my life changed. I was waking up, going through all sorts of head games, and all of a sudden, I fell in love with a God who accepted me just the way that I was, just the way that I was. And he promised me that he would change me. He would transform me. I couldn't change myself. I couldn't do it. But he promised that he would do it. And sanctification is a process of a lifetime. He's still working with me. It's not done with me yet. And he'll work on me all through this life. And when the life ends, he will say, welcome home. Welcome home. Now, it is only the Spirit of God within you that can enable you 
to live the life that God intended you to live. It's only him. There is no more begging and pleading for God to forgive you. You have a new heart. You are everything that God wants you to be. And if you're not, he'll change you into what he wants you to be. Sanctification, as I said, is the process of a lifetime. I think that Timothy said it best. Great is the mystery of godliness. Godlikeness is the consequences of God's activity in you. The Bible says that he is in you, he's your hope of glory, and his desire is to live through you. His desire is to live through you when you when you converse with your neighbor. His desire is to live through you when, when you're checking out your groceries at the grocery store. His desire is to live through you in whatever activity you do in life. Whatever your work is, his desire is for you to allow him to live through you. There is no more Begging and pleading with God. He loves you unconditionally. And as the Father lived in the Son, so we live in Christ. We see his example. Christ lived in unbroken dependency upon the Father. He could do nothing apart from his Father. Now, he was God. Jesus Christ was God, 100%. He was man, 100%. Talk about something confusing. That would be it. But when Christ took on humanity, he gave up his right to act as God. He could only act as man. And he could only act as man and he could only depend upon his father. It's the same way with us. We didn't ask to be born. We, were, we, we sinned before we knew what sin was all about. And anybody that has children knows that. They sinned before sin, they, they knew what sin was. The Bible says that they were conceived in iniquity. So they sinned before they knew what sin was about. And then, as they grow up, they get to be 8 or 9 or 10 years old. They're sitting in church, and all of a sudden they hear, you're not supposed to sin. How does that work? You're born a sinner. You sin before you even know what sin is. And then you have a preacher telling you that you're not supposed to sin. Talk about confusing. Do you know, according to the Bible, that we can do no more than Jesus Christ did as he relied on his father? To live, the Father to live through him is the same way that you and I do. We depend upon Jesus Christ to live his life through us, through the Holy Spirit. What an honor, what a privilege it is. Yes, we fall short. Yes, sometimes we get overly tired. Sometimes we're not eating right. There's some times that we're overworking. There's just a lot of times that the pressures of life, 
This world comes at us and we say things and we do things that are not good and maybe not right. But God says to us, I've taken care of all your mistakes. I remember them no more. You are good. You're okay. I'm here to live my life through you. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, the Bible says this, For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. I don't know how many of us really believe that. I think we want to believe it. But seeing that we don't feel it, we don't necessarily believe it. The Bible says that you have been made complete. And he is the head over all the rule and authority. He's the one that said it. You are complete in Christ. Do I feel complete? No. Do I act like I'm complete? No. Am I complete? Yes. From my core, I am complete. From that new heart that God gave me, from that new heart that he occupies through the Holy Spirit, yes, I am complete. But right now, as a born-again Christian, I'm simply maturing in Christ. That's all we're doing. We're just maturing in him. And it's a wonderful process. And when we make mistakes, when we fall, when we slip, God is there to say, I'm not counting any of your mistakes against you. I live in you. I possess you. I'm not worried about that. When Jesus Christ went to Calvary, he paid the penalty for sin. It's true that you are perfect forever. It's true that you are complete. To be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. To be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. For Christ to be in you, that makes you fit to live here on this earth. Christ in you is the hope of glory. To be in Christ, that changes your destination. When you accepted Jesus Christ, he gave you two gifts when you accepted him. He gave you the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is not a reward for quiet time, reading your Bible, going to church. It's not a reward for that. Eternal life is a gift, not a reward. Your righteousness is a gift to you. It's not a reward for doing good things. It's a gift to you. The one makes heaven your home. The other makes the world God's workshop. We are called to walk by faith. We're, we're called to walk in the Spirit, resting, trusting, believing that Christ is living in us, and his only wish is to express himself through us. He wants to express himself through your personality. 
You are unique. There's nobody like you. Nobody. And he's chosen you. He has chosen to live his life through you. You know, we love God because he first loved us. He came looking for us. He came searching for us. He appealed to us and we responded. And because of we responded, he wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life. And we're forever secure in him. So no matter what difficulties we may be going through, no matter what trials or tribulations we are going through, Christ is going through with us. The Bible says here in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. And how true that is. And the Bible says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What a wonderful promise that God has given to us. Do you see it? God is not asking you to get your act together. God is not asking you to to follow man-made religion. God is not asking you for any of that. The only thing God is asking you is to trust him, to trust him with your life. God will do what he said he will do. He said that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Believe me, he never will. He said that he will change you. He will transform you into the image of Christ. Let him do it. Let him do it. Don't worry about it. I mean, look at the churches today. They have all sorts of programs on how for you to get right with God, for how do you to maintain your fellowship, how do you do this, how you do that. Listen, that's all, that's all works. Let God do it. When God does it, it's permanent. When God does it, you appreciate it because it's nothing you've done. It's everything that he has done through you. It's only the spirit of God acting within you who can enable you to behave as God intended you to behave. Here it is. The only way that I know of of living out the Christian life is to wake up every day believing that you're a child of God. If you believe that you are a child of God, then you'll believe other things. You'll believe that there is no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. So you're going to, be feel, you're, you're going to feel free. You're going to feel free that you can be who you really are. You don't have to change. You don't have to go through all this metamorphosis. You don't have to do that. God has already taken care of that. You are changed. Your desires are different now. You don't want to sin. Yes, you do, yes, because of that power of sin. And when we get tired, overworked, and anxious, and all that kind of stuff, it has an effect on us. God wants you to wake up every morning knowing, knowing that he's not angry with us when we struggle. He's not angry at us at all. He understands our struggle. 
He wants you to wake up every morning proclaiming that you are a child of his. He wants you to wake up every morning with the realization that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit until Jesus Christ comes. You can't break that seal. It's God's seal. You can't break it. The devil can't break it. Nobody can break it. He has sealed you unto the day of redemption. And then, the next morning, you repeat it again. I'm a child of God. I'm safe. I'm secure. God loves me just the way I am. And he will change me. I need to allow him to do it. Christ, I invite you to live your life through me. And then you repeat that every day of your life. You know, the Bible says that Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The average Christian is not experiencing the abundant life in Christ. And I believe the reason he isn't is because he doesn't know. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know how Christ looks at him or her. He just, they just don't know. And they're all wrapped up in this religious world. And believe me, religion has done more harm than good. We need to get away from religion. And we need to anchor ourselves in Christ. Christ is our hope of glory. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for all the wonderful things that you say about us. We thank you for the life that you have given to us. And Lord, <clears throat> there's a lot of times we really get frustrated and we don't know which way we're going. Help us to anchor in the belief that we are your child. And help us to know that we're safe and secure, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you'll be with us always. And help us understand this battle with sin. And then help us to relax, knowing that everything is taken care of. And that your only desire is to live in us and through us. And this morning we give you permission to do that. To live your life through us in every aspect of our life. The way we treat each other. The way we treat our neighbor. And help us to fulfill the law, to love you with all of our heart and to love our neighbor. Bless us to this end, I pray, for I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.